0: Welcome to the Seashore Church message of the week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com.
1: How are you? Good. Well, we're going to get, we're going to do this together this morning. Is that okay? You didn't have a choice, so you better like it. Um, I, just, I just thought I'd just sit here while you <laughs> preached. She's just here to say Amen. <laughs> Tell me how good I'm preaching, right? No, just kidding. We actually wanted to talk a little bit this morning um, just to kind of get a perspective from both of us. It's just kind of a really more of a a practical message um, about how to really, about what does a a healthy church family look like? And how how do I as an individual, how do I get to a place where I am really flourishing in life but actually making connections in church also? Because I know that, You can be a part of a very large church and still feel very isolated. You can still feel alone. You can be a part of a a small church, large church, medium-sized church. It's not actually the size of the church. It's not about the quality of the preaching or the quality of the worship or the quality of the facilities. There are some things that we need to understand as believers in Jesus that will help us to not just connect to God but connect to other people too. Because God's intention for us is not just that we would connect to Him. It's that we would also learn how to connect to each other as well. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 34, just to give you a little bit of a background for this and a bit of an intro. It says that hearing Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied... Love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, what are the law and the prophets? The law and the prophets were the Bible that they had in Jesus' day. It's the old what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. When he's saying the law and the prophets, he's saying, Every instruction you have written in a book from God to you is summed up in these two commandments. You see, there are so many other rules that man had added onto this list that God had, that for the Hebrews and for the scholars, there were they, they they wanted to develop this minimalist approach. What's the least we can do and still get into heaven? Not how much can we do, but what's what's the bare minimum? How do what's the entry level requirement? And Jesus said, all of this that you've learned can be boiled down into two things, love God and love people. What he's saying is, if you get those two things right, you can forget a lot of Bible verses, but if you get these two things right, love God and love people, then you'll get everything else right. But if you miss these two things, it doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how much you've done. If you've missed out on either loving God or loving people, then nothing else is going to make sense. Jesus is actually quoting from something called the Shema. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. We've talked about this before. That word hear doesn't just mean I heard. It means I'm hearing with the intent to obey. There's already the intention of my heart to do what it is God says even before he says it. So when I'm listening, I'm already intending to obey. And he says that's the way we're to approach this. We want to love God. We want to love people. It's not just enough that we love God. That's the point I want you to get. The greatest commandment that we have after loving God is to love one another. There is no greater principle or commandment in Scripture other than loving God than loving one another. It's that important. It's not the great suggestion. It's not love those people, but not those people. You don't have a choice as to who you love if you're going to follow Jesus. Jesus didn't pick and choose those whom he loved. And we are supposed to love one another as he loved us. Jesus actually said in John chapter 13, verse 34, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. John said later in one of his letters, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And even Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. All of these disciples, they caught this from Jesus. It's a pretty important thing for us to do. Not just learn to love God, but learn to love one another. And so we want to talk to you a little bit about what it means to love one another. Hey, Peter also said greet each other with a holy kiss. I'm not going to ask you to do that here this morning. just want to see what kind of reaction I got. Be happy you're sitting next to your wife if that's who you're sitting next to. If you're sitting next to the hopeful, just look at them and say, the Bible said? No, I'm just kidding. Do you understand that other than loving God, there's no higher call for a Christian than to love each other? It trumps everything else. It's more important than any other principle in Scripture is to love each other.
0: Amen? Amen. guess that's a segue. (laughs) So, we we do... So, he's just laid out a few of the Scriptures, which is what we want to do because, obviously, we want to start with Scripture, but really, really want to talk about practically how... Like how you live that out in your daily life and what it looks like. So for you in your home with your own family, for you in your home then as you leave your house and and what you're like when you're around neighbours and co-workers and people that you meet in the street. But also, and very importantly, is is how we are with one another in the church church family. Because also John said that um, we will be known by our love for one another. And I think that in America, Australia too is just a bit different, but in America, because America had the culture of we're a Christian nation and everybody took the name, whether they were or not. And so it's really easy then to just live very hypocritical if it's just trendy to take a name or you get um, a job prospects or increases at work and benefits because you're a christian i come from a nation where that wasn't the case the minute you stick your hand up and say you're a christian uh, you're gonna maybe lose the promotion you might lose or you do lose friends and you lose family members right so um, it's a pagan nation Um, but here it became for so long decades of it was very culturally accepted just to say you're a christian and some people in that practice then might go to church on a sunday and tick a box and say did it fulfilled it. And all they're doing is sitting in a pew somewhere looking at the head of the person in front of them who they don't know and the person maybe next to them who they might also not know and, and then leaving and not coming back to the next Sunday where they're doing it again just to tick a box. And it's not loving one another. It's not loving our neighbour and it's not actually being the family of God the way He has instituted the church to be. He wants us to be in each other's lives um, in in a very close proximate way, uh, because because. Iron sharpens iron, right? And so it's not just the marriage relationship, but it's meant to be all of the church relationships. We do this thing called life together. I don't really like, oh, I'm doing life together. You know, I I don't want to throw it out like that so much as it's actually really true. We are learning and growing and maturing and becoming more Christ-like together. And we only do it together. Um, um, The the gifts of the Spirit, which is (laughs) all of those require another person, To really start to activate them in me. I notice I have irritations in me when I brush up really close to another person. And that's when the Holy Spirit can come in and just go, yeah, let me deal with that stuff, right? He wants to purify. Why did you touch
1: me when you said you have irritations? Because you're
0: the closest person.
1: Okay, just making sure.
0: Because you the closest person. Well, the marriage relationship is really great. It's the closest one. And it's really, gonna, God's going to use that the most in that situation. But all of the church relationships with people that we have around about, right? We're not supposed to be clicky. We're not supposed to be elite. We're not supposed to just hang out with people, look the same, dress the same, love the same food. All of the musicians, only with the musicians. All of the other people over here only, another group of people over here. It's just meant to be one very, very large family. It doesn't matter the age, background, bank account, car we drive. There should be no clickiness and no elite, like, clicky groups here and there. In fact, God actually hates that. And, and the Bible says that he shows no partiality like that. We should not show partiality like that either. It should be very, very open, uh, loving relationships that we do. It doesn't mean that every single person has to be your best friend. Like, that It would wear you out right? Um, but, but there should be the openness and the willingness and the, the honesty to live my life in front of people in a way. They can see me. They can see all of me. In fact, I, I have the great gift of flubbing and making all kinds of mistakes on the stage all the time so, so, that, so that you see it's a really normal part of life. We're not trying to impress one another. If I'm too busy trying to impress you with me, I cannot impress Jesus into your heart. And the point of doing life in the family, in the context of the church family, is that I just, I know who I am. I know I'm loved. So I'm very free yeah. to love you. Yeah. If I'm not free because I haven't yet learned that, yeah. I can't love you. And I'll be too busy, then insecure, trying to impress you, yeah. right? And that's not, that's not the way he wanted his family to be conducted.
1: It, it's a... Uh It requires an intimacy of relationship, and we want to help you develop your intimacy with God, but you actually need to learn how to develop intimacy with other people as well, too. Now, there could be a 100 reasons why that's difficult for people, and I'm not going to get into every one of those, but I will tell you that until you learn to bridge the gap between whatever is keeping you from developing intimacy with others, um, you're going to really not produce the fruit that God has intended for you. Do you understand that there's life in you that other people here need? And there's life in them that you need. And somehow in in the American culture, and I know during COVID this really ramped up because so many people were stuck at home watching church online, getting fed themselves, but then having no way to interconnect with other people. And it led to some very miserable people, like miserable. I mean, they're miserable as in miserable to others, but it just there was something that was missing. It's not the same church online. It's a great way to get the word out there, but it can never replace the gathering together of people. That intimacy is required in order for you to develop the way God intends for you to develop. The Bible says that God sets the lonely in families. Isn't that great news? That means that if you're alone, the church is the thing that God has provided for you to be connected into a family. And I know the word community is a real buzzword with churches. I don't dislike the word community, but it is far short of God's intention. God did not say He set the lonely in a congregation. He said they set the lonely in families, that our church is meant to be a family, not a cult, not an organization, not a club, but a family. And so when you learn how to be a part of a family. You see, if I'm just in a community, then when we have conflict, I don't have to see you. I can make a choice to disconnect myself from community. But when we're family, we still got to sit at the Thanksgiving table together. We, I, I don't have an option to not be your brother. Does that make sense? I don't have an option for you not to be my brother or sister because I didn't pick you to be my brother. Like, I didn't pick my family. God did. God picked your family. Anyone who makes a decision to follow Jesus becomes your brother and your sister. And it's our responsibility to learn how to live in unity and love with our brothers and sisters. Which, by the way, it's their responsibility too, right? So that means that I have to resolve to resolve. So that means when I have difficulties with people that are in my church family. I don't have the option to not talk to them. I don't have the option to not forgive them. I have decided to resolve to resolve. I will resolve those differences. It might take a while. It might take me having to be humble about some things. It might take them to have to be humble with some things, but I don't have an option not to work this out. I'm not going to have multiple services just so you don't have to go to the service that somebody else is at. We've had people in church that are divorced and then with their new spouse, and they're all in church together. Like, not together, but at least they're in the same place together. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, it's it's a picture of the family of God of what that's supposed to look like. My daughter was asking me this morning, not even realizing this is what we were going to talk about. She was reading Acts chapter 1 and asking me about it. And she said, God, it says that they had everything in common and they, they all lived together in, in unity. And they're sharing their possessions. What, what was that like? What does that mean? And I said, well, that means that they were making a choice to live together in such harmony and unity that they didn't even consider property to be their own. It was like this communal property. And if somebody had a need, someone else would meet the need. That's what family does. That's not a utopian communist society. Communism was a cheap counterfeit for that that didn't work because they took God out of the equation. But in God's economy, when somebody has a need, somebody else just meets it. We've had people in our church that have had specific financial or medical needs and they're not Coming to us saying, is the church going to do something about it? By the time I knew about it, we had already raised, is it $6,000? Like, I'm not sure which story it was about at least $2,500 got raised and the bill got paid, $3,000. $3,000 got raised. It's like, well, it's now $200,000, 400000 Oh, I didn't even make a phone call because somebody saw a need and just met that need before anything ever happened. When I hear that stuff, I go, that's a people that are committed to not just giving, but living in community together. But it takes some work. It takes work to be able, and I'll tell you where it begins. It begins with making the decision, I'm not just going to do life alone. I'm going to make a decision to engage with others and to live in community and get past whatever it is that I've got to get past to actually develop intimacy with other people. Now I'm talking to you as somebody who is a lifelong loner. It might surprise you, but before I met Romy, I was a bit of a loner. I was living in Europe and I was playing basketball, so I'd have a nine-month contract in different places, and so I knew I was probably not going to be in that country for more than nine months. So I developed very surfacey relationships and no depth, and I just I was kind of a loner. I went if I if I went to church, I went to church alone. I ate my meals alone. I had friends, but inside I wasn't developing intimacy because I knew I was going to leave in nine months. For some of you military folks, you think I'm only here for four years. I'm only here for two years, so I'm not actually going to build intimacy. The problem is you were wired for intimacy. So when you don't develop intimacy with other human beings, there's a part of you that's dying inside. There's a part of you that's always going to be empty. So by the time I got to Australia, I had already been living this way for about three or four years. And I went, I'm as lonely as I, I'm not just a loner, I'm lonely. And I've got to make a decision, but I don't know how to do it. Like I'm so used to coming in church and sitting in the back row and loving it. I love God, but I'm also the last one in, the first one out just because I don't want an awkward moment for somebody. I don't know how to engage with people. I don't know what to say. I don't know. I don't want to talk too much. I don't want to talk too little. And so I realized I'm kind of stuck. I recognize my need to build healthy relationships, but I actually don't know how to do it. And then I saw this woman and was like, who is this girl? Like she can talk to anybody and everyone. And she just loves them and like goes from person to person. And, She's not trying to put on an image of herself or impress people with who she is. And I just went, I want to be like her. So I made the decision, I'm going to be around her. She's smoking hot too, by the way. But this was even before we began dating. I just saw something in her that I went, she has something I need but I don't have. And I'm going to hang out with her and learn how to do that. Now, hanging out with her meant that I went to her Bible study. It wasn't, I need to have coffee with you every single week and discover all the details and learn all the secrets. I just went, I just want to be around you. So whatever you're at, it sounds like stalking now, doesn't it? Maybe a little bit. Hey, it works.
0: Not that we recommend that. but Right.
1: But I just realized... I want to be like you, so I want to, I want to be around the places that you're, you're around. And I've got, I've got to take a step out of this. I've got to, I've got to get out of my, my shell here. And I, I would use all kinds of reasons and excuses why I would stay in this. See, I'd still be in the room. I'd still be at church. I'd be at the things, but I'm still a little bit isolated. I know for me, it probably came from a couple of years of living in a country where I didn't speak the language. And so everybody else was talking in their language, and I'm just sitting there, and eventually somebody would look at me and say something in English because they felt bad for me, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, great. And I'd sit. it felt very isolating because I didn't speak the language. But then I let that spirit creep into me, and I became the loner by my choice now rather than just by the environment that I was in. But I noticed I am getting to a, a bad place. I've got to do something to break out of it. And so, yeah, I hung out with you and stalked you. Right?
0: So, um, Bella, uh, Lee Clayton just mentioned something that Bella talked about, the early church. Um, do you know, so they met in the temple courts yeah. and they met from house to house, right? It was the both. It wasn't one or the other and one's not more important than the other. Both are very important because it's in the... in the. In the temple, when they gather, it's for the celebration and the worship and they're gathering together. And there's a very great corporate anointing that's released on people as they, we just stand to celebrate who Jesus is. That's what we've done here. Um, but, but what is really important is in the house to house and the meeting in people's homes, and it can be coffee shop to coffee shop, it can be where your workplaces, it can be, you know, you're meeting with people, but it's, it's, the, it's the ongoing through the week, making your life available to others, and, and having their lives opened up to you. See, see, this moment in Sunday, we don't disciple people. We worship together, and you hear some teaching and some great words, but discipleship actually needs relationship. You cannot disciple someone outside of relationship with them. And so the house to house, the, the, it's the, the picture of being together through the week and spending time. It doesn't matter what the time is, as I said. But it is, is the spending time with people. And it's, it's as, as they open their life up and there's a relationship that's developed, then there's a real discipleship that can happen, right? And relationship, like a relational accountability starts to grow between believers. And that's what God really wants for his church, There to be really beautiful, great um, relational accountability because with that a relational accountability comes a whole other level of relational authority because even in America we've seen church authority abused wrongly and it's been because there has been no relational authority it's only been from the front a delegated thing and an abuses have taken place because people have missed their side of relationship right and so God does nothing with, with us without first beginning a relationship does he like, he wants relationship with us. But until we say yes to that, he's not going to burst into our world in a way, mostly, that, it, that is, there's, like, overbearing. He wants, he just takes us by the hand gently into this thing called relationship. But he wants us to do that with each other. And as I said, it's not everybody in the building needs to be your best friend, but there should be openness to take people out for lunch sometimes that you don't normally have lunch with. There should be openness to, um, you know, we have the email that goes out every week, and we have we have something on every day of the week. Whether it's nighttime, lunchtime, morning, there's something on every day of the week that you can show up into and and start to grow yourself. Get some great Bible teaching, prayer meetings. Um, there's something every day of the week, and we do that really intentionally so that people are meeting house to house. And we'd like to start more. So talk to us. <laughs> um, but but there is there is something very real about just being involved in people's lives. Um, Jesus himself modeled it, didn't he? He lived with the disciples. He lived with them. And it wasn't just the 12. There was a bit of an entourage, right? And they just traveled together everywhere. They did life every single day, helped each other, fed each other. Some, got the, some went shopping, some got the food. There was, there was, was a very, very a growing crowd that would just be with him and follow him everywhere. And everybody, everybody was welcome up into his world, right, everybody, Uh, I'm going to tell this story, I was talking to someone this week, Um, I remember when I was about, I was was either eight or ten in that period, right, young, and I remember being in, I think I was in like first grade, so whatever first grade age is, eight, six, well, oh, oh, okay, so it was before, okay, well, it was first grade, flip, six, so. I was, um, I was just in first grade, and we have recess at lunchtime. And recess is um, 25 minutes of free play. You, have, you bring your snack, and you just go out into the playground. And there's some grassy areas, and there's some handball courts. And you just play. It's free, completely um, um, not regimented, right? And so uh, I just remember turning up one day and on recess, and, and there was a new girl. And everybody in my class was standing laughing at the new girl. I, I, should I break my heart. Because I, I remember this. And it was the first glimpse I had of, what, of how people can shun and push away a person, right? This person was an albino, albino, how do I say it in America? Al- albino, completely white, pink eyes, pink, like white skin, practically pink, white hair, pink roots, right? Whitest, whitest of white, right? And everybody in my first grade class was just picking on this girl and horrible, being horrible, And so I just walked away from them all and sat with her and had lunch. And I remember it today. I remember that memory today as if it happened just yesterday, like not however many years ago. Um, Because, you know, I don't know why I did that as a six-year-old. But I just know that that's the heart of the Father, isn't it? That's the heart of Jesus to just go after the one that everyone else is pushing away and shunning. And bring that one in close and allow that person to know they're safe with you. People need to know they're safe with you. People learn to know that when you tell them stuff, you're not going to go blab it to someone else. That's key. God hates gossip. Yeah. To, to God, gossip is the same as sexual immorality. Yeah. It's the same. It's just all sin. One's not a little bit worse or a lot more worse. It's just all sin. Gossip and slander. But, and, and if you're that kind of person who operates that way, I'm going to ask you, stop and repent, right? Because people need to know they're safe with you. And when, when when you have a heart, when the father knows that people are safe with you, he starts bringing a whole lot more people around yeah. that really need your help. Yeah. And that's the whole point of doing church, hmm. right? The safety, yeah. the safety to know. So here's what it's like. I know my husband like better than any human on the world. You know, his mum knows him really, really well. But when you get married, it's extra. And so, so, but what that comes with. I know I know every button. What's that?
1: It's extra. <laughs> if you lived in this head, my gosh, I'm sorry. Go on.
0: It's just anyway. So, um, I was saying so I know I know I know his heart. I know I know all the buttons. I know the vulnerabilities. I know the things that hurt wound. And so even in the context of marriage, right, I am the person now because I know all that. I'm armed the most yeah, yeah. to do the most damage, right? Because I could really destroy this person now that I know this person's heart, right? And if you take that through the relationships and the aspects of, of doing, you know, family, the larger family, is when people are just talking to you and sharing their stuff and they're trying to get their own life right on the on the right path and stand and walk towards Jesus together in maturity, right? As people come into your world and they start showing you and, and their wounds, they're asking for help. They're not asking for you to blab their stuff. They're asking, are you gonna be safe? Because maybe there's been ten people before you who 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 trampled on their heart. Okay. Right? And so and so we all we all you know the adults in the room you don't get to be an adult without someone <laughs> trampling on your heart. it's just not possible Uh, we have an enemy who hates us and 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 then we have people some love us and some don't and you know (laughs) everywhere in between but you just don't get to be an adult with having trampled heart and so I said earlier about the angel speaking to the little child there's wounds in that person God wants to heal the wounds God wants us healed and whole and very very free in him And that happens when we commit to one another to live in relationship in a way that is really God-honoring, even though it looks like honoring the person in front of you. You're honoring that person, but you're actually, as Jesus said, anything you do for me, you do. Anything you do for the least of these, you do for me, right? So when you honor the person in front of you and you hold their heart, and I I I get really emotional on this because it is the most damaging thing in the church world has been there's been a lack of this. There's been a lack of holding confidences. There's been a lack of, um, and it can be even cloaked wrongly in the religious. Oh, just, you should pray with this person about me. And then they give away the stuff and you cloak it in religious sounding garb. I'm not saying you do, but that's the history of church, right? And it's just, so there's just the, the gossip words, the slander words, the ways that we just haven't treated people in the way that God really wants us to grab hold of people and love them into wholeness. Like, love them into freedom. Love them into them being undone before the Lord so he can bomb their heart with love. Because we do this as humans. When we've experienced a person who's hurt us, we project that pain onto what God's going to be like, right? And he's not. He's God. He's so far above and so different from us. But it's just a human tendency, right? But so in the opposite, in this world, we're supposed to be like Jesus, And so if we turn up into a world and now we show someone a very different way of loving, it's the way of Jesus, right? If we show someone a very different way of holding a heart and the confidence that that you're going to give that person to hold their heart so beautifully that trust is beginning to be built again. They suddenly go, oh, maybe God is real again. (laughs) They suddenly go, I can start to trust again. And they start to plant their lives down. It's important to be planted relationally yep. with people who are healthy, themselves, oh, and it's not that we're not perfect. No one's perfect, right? But we're all on journey, and we're all willing to be on journey, and we're all willing to do the hard work in our hearts so that God can make us a safe place for other people to be in. Yep. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's good. Um, so there has to be the decision of your own heart to want this and to engage in that, right? So what we do as a church is we try to create an environment where those relationships can flourish. Like I can't, I can't help you make friends or, and this is more than just friends, right? Because sometimes when you seek friends, what do you, what do you, that's a bit of feedback here. When you're looking for friends, you're looking for someone who likes the things that you like. But nobody in the family likes that, none of them like triathlon or basketball or whatever else it is that I like, but they're my family. So I don't, I'm not just looking for someone who likes what I like. I'm looking somebody who was a, for someone who is a brother or sister, and I'm deciding to engage in intimacy and a relationship with them because they're my brother and sister, not because we like the same things, okay? So as a church, we try to create an environment where those relationships can naturally occur, even though we can't make those relationships happen for you. So as we finish, I just want to talk about a couple of those things. And you know, one of the ways that we create an environment, in order for something to flourish, it's, it's gotta be in the right environment. So if I'm gonna plant like a tomato plant, I'm not going to try to put it in the crack of my driveway and say, here, thrive. Like it's, it's going to struggle, right? Um, I'm going to create a garden with the right kind of soil, the right kind of environment where that tomato plant can flourish. Um, I can't make the plant grow, but I can create the environment where those things can happen. And so I found that in church life, kind of the two primary ways that we create an environment where you can build those kinds of relationships, it's not actually Sunday services, I love our Sunday services, but this isn't always the place where you can develop that. It's the larger worship environment and teaching and that sort of stuff. But it's in the small groups and it's on volunteer teams that I found are probably the two primary ways. Again, being on those things are not going to mean that you are in an intimate relationship with someone, but they are the fertile ground in which those relationships can actually flourish. And so what I want to do, actually... We may have given you a heads up on this, but if you lead any of our small groups or teams, would you come up here for a second? Any midweek meeting that we have that you lead, um, come on up and just stand up here for a minute, and I'll pull these back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down. I need the space. Oh. So you lead something. So you can, Yeah, Emily, Sphere, you guys too, and uh, if you're wondering whether you do, then you're probably... Should be up here. I'm just looking to see. Yeah,
0: any of the prayer meetings, any Bible studies, any lunch, Susan, any lunch you, things? You, you, where she, you guys
1: come on up too because VSA um, is a part of that. You guys want to come on up? Yep. I'm going to think of who else. Uh, Jess, yeah, come on up. I know you're trying to do words at the same time. And this is not everybody because not everybody is here. But just wanted to give you an idea that all of these people either lead a prayer meeting they lead a Bible study. They lead a house church. Lily is leading youth for us. Jake, we have a run club every Tuesday. How cool is that? Run slash walk club. It's becoming very quickly. That's okay. And uh, not because of Jake, I can tell you that. And uh, these guys are leading uh, a Monday night group, I think. And um, there's all, I'll get it wrong if I keep trying to go through the whole thing. Emily and Sophia here are our worship pastors, and so they run a worship night on Tuesday nights. And these, uh, Brent and Sammy running a house church on Friday nights, there's much more. I just want to say, if you are looking to engage relationally, these are the people to talk to. Find out, hey, what do you do? When do you do it? Where do you do it? Because I, I love church on Sundays and that sort of stuff, but I do want to figure out how to engage on a little bit of a deeper level. From a very practical standpoint, we put out an email every week that has all the details of what's happening that week. We don't put it on the website. I don't stand up here and give an announcement about everything that's happening in the week because it's just too much. But that email is kind of the primary way that we let people know details of times and places and those kind of things. But these are actually all people that are involved in that. And so if you're curious about how do I get connected in the life of the church... How do I get connected with other people? This is kind of a a great place to start. We all... Jessica's up here, aren't you? So I'll I'll put the graphic up in a minute. Do you mind? (laughs) If anybody wants to join our media team, Jessica is the one, and our kids team, which is currently serving back there. There's all kinds of Sunday teams. We also have um, an app. And so if you go to either... If you're on Apple, you can go to the the App Center. If you are um, um, Android-based, I'll pray for the gift of interpretation for you because I have no idea. The app is on there as well. If you download that app and search for Seashore Church, then that's what is our app. It becomes our Seashore Church app. That's what it looks like once you download it. And if you see down in the bottom, it's the easiest way to give is through our app, by the way, because you can schedule it. Um, But there's a little thing called groups that we are in the process of redoing. And so that you'll have any groups that you're looking for, not only because I know what it is, none of y'all read your emails, it all goes to junk email, and then you got to filter through to find it. The app is a better way to do it. That's in process. But right now, the email is the way we do it of just finding, honestly, sometimes you're like, I only got one night a week, go to that. I promise you we'll have something happening that night of the week somewhere um, to help you kind of get connected for it.
0: So we want to let people sit down. Thank you. Thank you so much. I need them here. That's what I'm saying.
1: Give me a second. Is that right? Sorry. Go. Yeah. So here's it. You guys can sit down. I'll just use this as an No, no, you stay here. You guys can sit down. I wanted to show you something. Um, So you guys can sit down. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That side can sit down. Can you guys step up for a second? Because there's a concept I want you to catch with this of why this is important, okay? We're a lot like corn. That's what I want you to remember. We're a lot like corn. Everybody say, I am like corn. I am like corn. <laughs> you see, I endeavored once to grow corn in my backyard, my very small backyard. And I'm like, I'm just going to plant one or two stalks of corn because that's all I need. So I did start doing a little bit of research on corn. Do you know what I found out? If you plant one or two stalks of corn, they will fruit, but the fruit will be weak and it will be tasteless. Corn has to grow in rows. And I'll tell you why. If you guys will stand shoulder to shoulder for me here, it's a couple of reasons why corn has to grow in rows. And I wanted to think about this in the context of why building relationships with others and learning to love others in church is important. It's because corn is a little bit unique. That's why you don't ever see like one little small patch of corn, you know, unless you just want it for Instagram. You can do that, I guess. Uh, Anybody have an Instagram corn patch? I didn't want an Instagram patch. I wanted actual corn. Is in order for corn to really flourish... It needs to pollinate. It needs to cross-pollinate. You see, one stalk of corn by itself, if he's standing over here by himself, he might be producing pollen, but he needs the pollen of another plant in order for his fruit to become not weak and tasteless, but to taste good and to flourish and to continue to grow. Not only that, but growing in rows, that's one thing it does, is it has the ability to cross-pollinate. They require that pollination. The thing about pollen that comes from a corn plant is it doesn't travel very far. It only travels a short distance. So the only way for this plant to receive the pollen is if he's close enough to get pollinated by another plant. The other thing that Rose actually helped them do is when the wind blows, and if you ever live in a place where there's corn, it's wide open, there's a lot of wind that blows. But when the wind blows, when you're leaning up against somebody else, you've got a support system. So as the wind blows, instead of blowing over, I'm just kind of bumping up next to the corn next to me, and instead of being one single stalk, it's one big group. And you can't blow over a group that well. But if you're the single stalk of corn yourself, as soon as the wind blows, you're going on the ground. I remember when that snowstorm hit a little while ago, and Romy and I were traveling to the mountains going up 64, and it was covered in trees that had fallen across the interstate. But as we drove, what I noticed is the only trees that had fallen were the ones on the very edges, There was not one tree that had fallen in the middle of the forest. The only trees that fell were the ones that were sitting on the edges. Now I live my life as a Christian who was on the edge for a long time. Like I'm I'm here, but I've got an exit strategy. This guy's got no exit plan. He goes right or left, he's going to bump into somebody. But I'm kind of like I'm here, but in case I don't like things, I'm ready to move out at any moment. That's the stalk of corn that's In the most danger. Because when the wind blows, if it blows this way, I'm good. But if it blows that way, I've got a better chance of just falling out. And I want us to stop being people who are just trying to either live on our own over here or live on the edge. When we talk about cross pollination, it's the sharing of our spiritual gifts. That's why our five-fold ministry is such an important thing. This is not the Romeo and Clayton Seashore Show. That was a hard one to say, Seashore Show. It's the fact that we have apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and pastors. And that's who's leading the church. Because there's cross-pollination that happens when you're effectively raising up all five of those ministries within the church to equip the church to be apostles and prophets and pastors, evangelists and teachers. So when I say we're like corn, that's the important is you will flourish. Your fruit will taste better. You'll be stronger when you're living in relationship, when you're getting up next to someone. You see, when I'm up next to Jake like this, he can tell whether I put on deodorant this morning or not. He gets to see all of my flaws. He gets to tell whether I had bad breath or not. You see, when you're in church, you can just come to church and put on a face and be fine and walk away and nobody knows any difference. But when I decide to enter into a relationship, they have to choose to love me in spite of my bad breath. But that's real love, isn't it? Thanks, guys. Appreciate you very much. Give them a hand. They get extra credit.
0: It takes um, bravery to say yes to being known in family. You've got to be brave. But Jesus, you know, he's inside you. And he's, he's the one that will give you all the strength and all the courage that you need to be brave to say yes to saying relationship to people. To say yes to, I'm going to try again. Even though maybe there's hurt in the past. But yes to, I'm going to try again. I'm going to be open again. I'm going to be vulnerable again. I'm going to risk again. Right? And so, you know, he's, he's displaying like standing close to each other. Like doing relationships close by. But it's, I understand that for a lot of people, it's really risky,
1: yeah. right? It's worth the risk, isn't it?
0: It, it is worth the risk. Yeah. Um, um, it's risky because, as I said, you know, you, you start to share your heart and the vulnerability that's needed to really go deep with people. But only by going deep with people can we really reach that place, those places of really going uh, deeper with God. If we just continually be shallow, shallow lives with people around about us, It's actually an indication of your heart that you're very shallow with God. It's a hard truth. But the level of my openness before people is really only a measure of my openness before God. The measure of my honesty before people is only a measure of my honesty before God. This all starts here first, right? My willingness for openness, honesty... That the willingness to be vulnerable here and allow him to have his way here allows him to blow away all the stuff in me. So now I'm very free to be very open here, honest here, vulnerable here, right? And so maybe we should finish and just pray on that, yeah. Um, So Jesus, we do we do recognise it's that um, that the humility in us, the vulnerability in us, the trust level in us that you want to build. We I just pray everybody here would be giving you permission, really permission to go deep, permission to search out. The deep recesses of our hearts, search out the deep recesses of memories from childhood, memories, even recent memories, and everything in between. But we'd be willing to allow you to be uh, cleansing us and bringing to bringing to our memory things that we need to forgive people for or renounce our own involvement uh, or, or just resist, you know, resist that temptation for things. I pray, God, that we be people who allow you daily to have your way and allow you daily. It's like water finds its lowest place, doesn't it? And the water is the Holy Spirit. And so when water finds its lowest place, it's like the Holy Spirit in you finding, going so deep in you and touching all of those deep places in you, where mostly, almost no other person's ever been to, right? Or really, most of the time, no other person's been to. You allow the Holy Spirit to go deep. So remember that. Holy Spirit is like that water that goes to the deepest places in you. And so we do invite you, Holy Spirit. We do invite you to go really deep in us, to have your way, and we trust your hand. You are gentle, and you are kind, and you are loving, and you are graceful, and you do it so beautifully. You're not, you're not harsh with us. You're not wrathful with us. You're not angry with us. You're a kind, and a good, and a loving Father, and you want this relationship with you to be one that is very, very free, which requires us to allow you to go deep in us, and I pray every single day that we'd be people who allow that.